Hello, everyone. I'm Rachel Zabonik-Chonko, and welcome to the Club Solutions Magazine podcast. The following conversation features Sean Stewart, the owner of CSS Fitness Holdings and Fuel Fitness, on the topics of leadership, culture, and business ownership. We talk about Sean's journey in the industry from Gainesville Health and Fitness to O2 Fitness to ultimately taking the leap to own his own health club. Other topics include burnout and culture, and Sean shares a fun fact about one of his first jobs at Disney. Enjoy. This edition is sponsored by Club Solutions Mastermind Groups. The Club Solutions Mastermind Groups offer peer-to-peer support that's affordable, convenient, and for all levels of health club management. Go to clubsolutionsmgx.com for more information. Sean, thank you so much for joining me on the Club Solutions Magazine podcast. I really appreciate it. Great. My pleasure. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I want to talk about a few things, leadership, culture, business ownership, but first off, I want to get a little bit of background on your journey in the fitness industry, starting with uh, Gainesville Health and Fitness. Uh, we were talking a little bit beforehand and you were there for over 20 years. Can you tell me a little bit about what that experience was like and um, maybe your biggest learning lessons? Yeah. So I started there in 94 as a freshman in college and uh, was living with my sister and she was working for Joe Cerulli there at uh, Gainesville Health and she hired me just to do some odd jobs and uh, 20 years later was able to pretty much do every aspect of uh, running a health club. Uh, You name it, I've I've done it. So I got a lot of hands-on experience of uh, you know, running health clubs, uh, a lot of executive experiences, but just the, the whole, uh, culture that people associate with Gainesville Health and Fitness and Joe Cerulli. Uh, I don't know if I've ever done it justice in trying to explain it. <laughs> You've got to experience it. Uh, Joe's mentorship has meant the world to me and, uh, can, you know, to this day is someone who I still lean on. Uh, but the, the, the biggest takeaway that I have from Gainesville is the investment in people that Joe had this unbelievable discipline and, and obsession to hire, grow and, and, and develop and invest in people, uh, never to the, where to make them better health club employees, but just to make them better people. And, uh, you know, every day for the last you know, 25 plus years that I've been in a position to influence others, uh, my, my, my whole point is to just invest and, and be able to grow and develop people at a fraction of the level that someone like a Joe Cerulli and others in our industry are able to do. Uh, but that has helped shape everything about what I'm doing now, what I did at O2 Fitness, uh, the, the foundational principles just mean so much, uh, not to everyone, but certainly to me, because it's the only way I know how to do things, is starting with foundational principles first. Uh, again, to give you a, a little bit of a background of my philosophies, I believe all great companies are built on a three-tier pyramid. The bottom of the pyramid are your foundational principles, mm-hmm. having a strong vision, mission, core values, uh, principles that you base everything around. Uh, you know, I heard someone use and refer to those as your guardrails. Uh, you know, you're going down a highway, you've got guardrails to kind of help you, uh, you know, steer a, a straight path versus just going all over the place. The, the second part of the t- pyramid 
are systems. You have to have systems for everything that you do, but systems that are designed and built around your foundational principles. And the top of the pyramid is the most important, and that's the people. Now, like the roof of a house, Rachel, you can't start <laughs> with that first. You have to have the foundation, you have to implement systems, and then you have to hire, grow, and develop people. And I never say I look for the best people, I always say I look for the right people. And the right people are the ones who will execute those systems uh, perfectly flawlessly 100% of the time that are built on those foundational principles. Yeah. And all of that is what I learned at Gainesville. Okay, very cool. And then um, obviously you're using that structure um, in your current business. So can you tell me a little bit about what led you to making the jump to being a business owner? Was that a dream you always had? And then what was that like actually taking the plunge? I'd say it was both a dream and a nightmare (laughs) scenario. And I say that because I've, I've been fortunate to be a part of a lot of organizations, roundtables, people in the industry through Club Solutions events. And I, I see great operators. I see great owners. And there's been times when I said, man, I would love nothing more than to own my own business. And then there's times when I was like, I don't have it in myself to, to be able to do and handle the things that they have to go through. So I think every operator at one time or another says to themselves, yeah, I'd, I'd like, like to own my, uh, my own business one day. And so I kind of went back and forth. I've always been fortunate uh, to be in positions where I had a lot of success without uh, owning something 100%. And that makes you comfortable, you know, from, you know, having my dream job at, in Gainesville to the great opportunity that, that I had at O2 Fitness. There wasn't always, there wasn't a lot of motivation to uh, jump out on your own, but every now and then you get that itch. And for me, it was more about, uh, and and to to give you a little background, Rachel, when I left Gainesville, that was my original intent. Um, uh, My my wife had graduated, uh, or I'm not great, she completed a residency at the University of Florida. Uh, She's a large animal veterinarian. And she really made a name for herself in, in research. And she was getting job offers and opportunities all over the place, but she was only focused on positions in the Gainesville area. And I kept asking her, why aren't you looking at some of these other great opportunities? And she just assumed I would never wanted to leave my position at Gainesville. And I said, sweetie, I've I've had the opportunity to have my dream job for the last 20 years. You go find your dream job and I'll figure out what I want to do. And and that was going to be to start my own business then. She had an opportunity at NC State uh, to to lead one of their departments there. And uh, a mutual friend of the owner of uh, O2 Fitness and myself had said, well, if you're going to be in in, in Raleigh, you need to meet with Michael Olander. And one thing led to another, and he brought me on board as a COO and very thankful that he did. And uh, again, different culture, different way of doing things as far as just the sheer size of the business uh, was a lot different, which gave me a whole, it was almost like I was starting from scratch again. 
yeah. and learned new skills, um, new, new ways of doing things, which combined with my experience in, in Gainesville really helped shape what I want to do now with uh, fuel fitness. Yeah. So it sounds like the stars just kind of aligned for you with that they opportunity. Did, they did. And, you know, after being there four and a half years, uh, it, it kind of reminded me of something I remember Joe Cerulli saying when he was originally writing out his list of things that he wanted to be successful. And number one on the list was I will own my own health club. And number two, it'll be in Gainesville, Florida, because when he was working for other health clubs, he started to be uh, sent to other parts of Florida, other parts of the country, and he wanted to live in Gainesville. And he said, I didn't, I, I didn't want to be in a position where people were going to tell me what to do. Yeah. And so after uh, my, my wife's initial uh, position contract was up, and again, she had an opportunity to look elsewhere, that's really what kind of helped me say, you know what, I, I was very flattered after leaving O2 with the opportunities that I had to go work for other organizations. And I kept coming back to, it, it's not just about my career, it's about my, my wife's career. Uh, I've got a three-year-old son, he turns uh, three at the, uh, the end of the month. And, you know, it's about our family. And I said, what better way to do that than to be 100% in control of what I do? And that, that was really what, what sealed the deal. But again, just being fortunate during that time. And, and Rachel, I'll, I'll tell you, uh, after being in the industry for that long and just working nonstop, I also wanted to take some time off. And I, I hate to use the word burnout. There's really no such thing for what we do. Uh, but I, I did feel myself losing a little bit of the, the passion that I used to have for the industry. And so just taking some time off and yeah. being able to reconnect with people like, you know, Frank and Molly Napolitano, Blair McCaney's, Joseph Ruiz, just reconnecting with people helped me to just discover what I wanted to do next, which was still just a a passion for people, a passion for the fitness industry, a, a, a passion to create and develop things that I felt like we, we could work uh, on as an industry. Uh, that's really what helped seal the deal and mm -hmm. uh, taking the next step. And of course, doing that in March of uh, 2020 was the perfect opportunity to start your own business <laughs> <laughs> in the health, health club industry. Oh, yeah. Gosh. Well, I'm really glad that you, uh, you know, brought up burnout and just acknowledged it because this is a really quickly evolving industry. Um, it requires a lot of people. And I don't think that uh, it's kind of acknowledged at all, really, that, you know, you know, you really need to take time for your mental health, for your family, and there's no shame in that. And so I think it's really great that you just kind of recognized what was needed in order to kind of reignite that passion. Thank you. And, and absolutely. And again, it's, it's, there's a lot of people that do a lot of harder things than, than what I do uh, that, that truly leads to, to burnout. And, you know, part of it was just, the ability to start implementing systems that are so core to who I am and what I believe in that I had not had the ability to do for a while that kind of leads you to not being as passionate as yeah. you, uh, you, you once were. And so taking that step back and being able to reassess connecting and reconnecting with people who I admire in the industry and look up to, uh, really helped steer me 
back in. I, you know, I did a, uh, a retreat, uh, went to Baltimore, D.C. area, spent some time with, with Mark Miller, spent some time with the Bricks, uh, spent some time with uh, Aaron Moore at, uh, at Vita, and just having the ability to connect with people who were, first of all, just brilliant and, and talented in what they do, just willing to, to take the time to be able to, to share, uh, pick each other's brains, just meant a lot to me. And uh, again, kind of helped steer me back in the right direction of where I, I, I was the most passionate about. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, you mentioned that you uh, opened the business in March, 2020, which like you said, was, <laughs> you know, perfect timing. Uh, talk to me a little bit about what that was like for you. What were, what was kind of going on uh, in your head when you realized that the pandemic is going to be shutting down gyms across the U.S. So, going back to January and February of, of 2020, I, I had kind of honed in on what I wanted to do, and I had uh, conversations with, with some people who I was looking to partner with. I had found a financial backer, and we had several acquisitions in line. You know, the idea was multiple clubs, multiple markets, maybe even multiple brands. And at that time, we were looking at bigger clubs, but also the studio model. And it all came to shape pretty quickly and literally had uh, the, the, the contract on my desk ready to sign uh, pre-pandemic, literally a week or two. And wow. some other things started popping up. And then all of a sudden, everything hits. And unfortunately, the guy who wanted to... Uh, back what we were doing financially was very hard hit. Uh, he owned restaurants and entertainment venues and, yeah. uh, and he still wanted to be a part of something. But I told him it's okay. You can take a step back. I need to figure out now if this is the right direction and he needed to do the same thing. And uh, I was still consulting with a few people at the time. And uh, Rachel, I got to tell you, I, I actually felt guilty during this time because it was the first time in, in what, 26 years, I wasn't in the trenches. I wasn't operating clubs. Yeah. And I'm seeing people who I know, love and respect in this industry just struggling. And good people who, I mean, nobody knew what was, what was coming and how to figure this out. And I told a lot of people, I said, you know, number one, I feel guilty I'm not in the trenches with you, but use me to help focus on how are you going to come out successful out of this? What's the vision? How do we continue to work on the business, not just in the business? While you guys are in the trenches trying to figure out how to survive, let me be that for you guys. And so I spent a lot of time just thinking about what's next. How are we going to come out of this? What's here to stay? How is it going to reshape things? All the questions a lot of people just, they had, but they didn't have the bandwidth to really dig in. And so that alone really helped shape the fuel fitness acquisition and how that came about was a, a, a consulting opportunity uh, for someone who had just purchased this club, rebranded it, fuel fitness, helped him through some of those stages. But then the shutdown happened. Uh, the guy who owned it was not a health club guy. It was the first mm -hmm. time that he had ever been in the industry. And uh, I was going to help him put together operational things to help him be successful. And he finally just said, this isn't for me. 
uh, and asked if I was interested in acquiring it. And one thing led to another and I acquired uh, Fuel Fitness. Uh, wasn't the brand I had in mind, but it kind of grew on me. And we've been able to make some changes that I think it's a sustainable brand, uh, especially in the area where it's located, which is just north of Charlotte, um, Mooresville, North Carolina. Uh, very heavy NASCAR influence. Uh, it's the NASCAR capital of the world. And so fuel fitness kind of fit. Yeah. Uh, and I think it fits throughout the Southeast, which is the markets that I want to uh, hone in on. But an opportunity to take that over, make some changes, get it open. Uh, we opened uh, July seventh, uh, I believe, and which we weren't supposed to open uh, based on North Carolina, but we had uh, a lot of alignment with the local government, uh, town sheriff. We spent a lot of time working with the community, selling them on our. Uh, not just vision as a company, as a health club, but the safety protocols. And they were just blown away yeah. with everything we were doing. And they were saying, listen, the, the, the best way to get through this is health and people working out. Uh, we support you hundred percent. So, you know, we opened the Monday after uh, 4th of July and we've been very fortunate, you know, it's, it's never where you want it to be, but uh, you know, as a, doing it hundred percent on my own, you know, financially, uh, you know, I, I didn't bring on any, um, financial partners. So it was, uh, a little tight to get things up and running, but from day one, we were able to, uh, make more money than, than we spent and have grown, uh, profitability sales and personal training every month, uh, since July. So we've been very, very fortunate. Yeah. I love that for you. you. Um, and then with the experience, you know, working with the local government, the sheriff's sheriff's office, um, what was that like? And are those relationships you feel will be beneficial moving forward? Absolutely. You know, one of the most important pieces to the company of, of, of fuel fitness of where it is now and move forward was, uh, bringing on, um, my VP of ops, and uh, partner, business partner, Elliot Hall. Uh, when you talk about alignment with executives and owners, and I'm not saying people who think alike, because we certainly don't think alike, uh, but we have alignment in the things that matter. Uh, that was so key to being able to focus on what I needed to focus on to grow the business, to have someone who could come in and I know operate the business uh, very much in line with everything that, that we believe in. Uh, and so he was an integral part in setting up those relationships, meeting with, with the people. And, you know, together we were really able to sell the community on, uh, you know, not just business, uh, but obviously a health club business and overcoming some potential negative perceptions and really connecting with the community uh, I think will be key moving forward. You know, we have, uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful location. It's a standalone building. It's got a massive outdoor area, uh, both in the back and the side. Part of it's uh, concrete, a lot of it grass. And it allowed us to do a lot of outdoor classes. And we didn't do a single outdoor class that we didn't invite the entire community uh, to be a part of it. And that went a long way. And then I think everyone really appreciated just our commitment to not just wellness and health, 
but also giving back to the community. You know, it wasn't a market I was very familiar with. Uh, it again, it came about through a, a consulting opportunity, but it was a market I was always intrigued with. And the more I got to know and learn uh, about that market, and then obviously through through the community uh, aspect of things, uh, I fell in love with it. And so it's certainly a market I want to continue to grow, uh, but also look at the other markets that I'm uh, pretty passionate about. You know, just just signed a lease. Uh, to do a new build. It's not uh, public yet. I'll announce that soon, uh, but we'll be breaking ground here pretty shortly. Uh, that's in, in North Carolina. And then I've got a contract on an acquisition here in the Triangle, and we're working on a few things down in the uh, South Carolina market. So things are uh, are happening fairly quick. Yeah, that's very speed. exciting. Thank you. Super exciting. Yeah. And I want to emphasize one point. Um, it sounds like you were really proactive at um, engaging the local community in marketing messaging and, um, you know, working with them on ensuring that they felt safe and really understood the importance of health in their community. And I think that's something the pandemic has taught a lot of clubs is um, not waiting for consumers necessarily to come to you, but you actively going out and educating them on various things. Would you agree? Absolutely. And, you know, part of it's education. Part of it is just a comfort level that some people just don't understand until you really engage with what they can and can't do. Uh, and as you know, it's, it's certainly market driven from, you know, markets who probably went too far one way in, the, the protocols, and then there's markets that went too far the other way, being too uh, lackadaisical and freelance about things. And so it's certainly market-driven, but this was a very solid market who uh, they weren't going to go too far one way or the other. And just engaging in the conversations about the simple things that you can do to stay safe and the things that we were willing to do and, and you know, I say, unfortunately, some people say it's fortunate, but unfortunately there was some other health clubs in the market that weren't taking it as seriously. And uh, again, we can have those simple conversations with the, the, the right people to say, your, your health is everything. Let, let's help us be the mechanism that, that allows you to continue to do that in the safest manner possible. Yeah, certainly. Well, um, you know, we've talked about some of the challenges of business ownership, especially navigating the pandemic. Um, what have been some of the highlights? What are you super proud of, of what you've built so far? You know, it's, it's hard to be proud being this new uh, in the industry, especially when I see what so many other people have accomplished. Uh, just taking the leap is very fulfilling and rewarding. And being able to do that with who I mentioned, uh, you know, the VP of Ops at the company, Elliot Hall. Uh, you know, when we first did it, there, there, was, there was so much going on in our minds that, again, another uh, thing I learned from Joe is just be disciplined, get everything in here to stay focused. And one of the things that we did was uh, we rented a cabin on Lake Norman, beautiful Lake Norman, there in Mooresville uh, for two months. And that became our home away from home. And it just became our think tank. You know, we didn't have TV, we didn't have distractions. Uh, we worked hard during the day and played hard. We could get out on the lake, but it was our getaway to just think 
and strategize. And the one thing I learned, Rachel, is that all the experiences that I had with Gainesville, with O2 and, and the people, instead of just force feeding all the things that I think I know about this industry, I took the opportunity to say, we have a blank slate, a blank slate from a club, a blank slate from culture, a blank slate from the foundational principles. And I didn't want to just write in the things that I've always done. I said, let's rediscover everything. Let's recreate everything. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of overlap, but just having that ability to say, we have a blank canvas and we can implement new strategies and new ways of doing things. And uh, as I re-engage with the industry uh, through executive roundtables and through industry events, I can go in and be who I enjoy being the most, which is the dumbest guy in the room. And when you can, <laughs> when you can be the dumbest guy in the room, you get to listen, you get to learn, you get to uh, be curious and ask questions and be able to go back and implement things. So that's a lot of things that over the years in peer-to-peer uh, -peer groups and idea sharing, is so many times people can't go back and just easily implement something. Some people can. And I've been telling people, if you've got ideas, share them because I'm in a position where I can, maybe not easily, but I'm willing to implement and try. And I, I, I wanna be not just Fuel Fitness and CSS Fitness Holdings, uh, R and D, but I want to be the industry's R and D and be able to, you know, what works, what doesn't, let's try it. Let's rifle shot it. And that's probably been the most rewarding is being able to, to do some of those things. Uh, again, we're so early, it, it, it's hard to see what the results are, but I know the things we're, we're doing are working. And again, uh, the one year anniversary coming up in a few months, uh, I could have as many as you know four or five clubs under the uh, the umbrella uh, more down the road, but it's not about that. It's it's about the the things that we're creating internal, uh, you know, the the culture, the the people, the investment, which all sounds cliche, but when you work twenty years for Drosher Roots, really it's not. Yeah. It, it's uh, it's who you are, and again, I'm kind of fortunate, and I just I don't know any other way because it's the only way I've, I, I, I've done things. Yeah. And, uh, that's been the best part. Thanks again to our sponsor, Club Solutions Mastermind Groups. The Club Solutions Mastermind Groups offer peer-to-peer -peer support that's affordable, convenient, and for all levels of health club management. Go to clubsolutionsmgx.com for more information. Yeah, I really love that you uh, rented a cabin and really carved out, out that time to, you know, carve out your strategy and vision. Because um, when you've been doing something for a long time, you know, 20 years or more, it's really hard to break those habit loops that you fall into. Um, you know, you kind of get used to just doing things a certain mm -hmm. way. It does stunt your creativity for a bit unless you force yourself to get out of that. that absolutely. And even right when we started, you know, acquired the club, it was, it was shut down. And so as we were planning to open it up, it was so easy to default back to those, those, uh, the, 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 the way we've always done it uh, to quote. And, uh, you know, some of that, it, we know it works, but it doesn't mean you don't take the time to say, is there a better way? Is there a different way? What have we learned? And it was fortunate that when we acquired the club, it was during the shutdown period that we had time 
to be able to, you know, hire everyone and implement the systems and, and, and do the baseline level things to also be able to spend the time to say, okay, who do we want to be? Who do we want to be for the industry? Who do we want to be for the community? Who do we want to be for employees? Who do we want to be for sales? What is going to make us feel good coming to work every day and you know, leaving every day saying, hey, we're, we're a little bit better than we were yesterday. And I think we've got that foundation in place. Yeah, got to reimagine everything. Mm. Yeah. Well, um, you know, we've talked a little bit about people, but we haven't really got into how exactly you find the right people or foster the right culture. So um, can you share, me, share with me your thoughts on that? What are some things other operators might want to keep in mind when fostering their employees? Yeah, so uh, going back to my experience at O2, when, when I got hired at O2, it was, there were 24 locations at the time, and it was multiple brands. There were 12 clubs that were under the East Shore Athletic Club brand and 12 under the O2 brand. Uh, but the way the, uh, the business was built was through a lot of acquisitions. And I think at that time, there were only three clubs that were built as O2 Fitness. The other 21 were acquired. And so there were basically 24 different cultures, 24 different companies, 24 different ways of, of doing things. And, you know, one of the things Michael said when he brought me on board is I know that's not sustainable. And it was, the, you know, that was my first challenge there was really saying, okay, can we implement, can I implement a, a Gainesville Health and Fitness Center level of culture and hiring and training and development and everything else uh, in multiple markets, multiple brands, multiple locations. And, you know, that process I'd say is what I did 24 seven for the first, you know, eight to 12 months. Uh, and, and after about a year, that's when I felt like we were one brand, one culture, one way of doing things. And to go back to your original question, the thing I took away the most was uh, that I felt was kind of slipping a little bit with me personally was the ability to be inside of the clubs, working with every person, every team member all the time. And so I really had to focus on my own time management, my own schedule, because I never wanted to lose that. So, you know, what, I, what, I, what I enjoy the most is growing and developing people and doing the hands-on training. <clears throat> and so when we, um, when we started to implement all of these things, I, I, I could see the, the challenges that it posed to having multiple clubs, multiple markets. That was the biggest thing I had to overcome. And, you know, w w was my own investment in making sure that that happened. And so with, with Fuel Fitness, even though it's only one location currently and eventually multiple locations and multiple markets, the biggest thing that I'm doing now is investing in making sure that we have those systems, you know, the foundational principles in place, the systems that are built on that, which are the hiring systems, the training, the onboarding. And for me, it's what technologies can we bring on and implement to make it scalable that it doesn't require necessarily me or any one individual to be in person, hands-on all of the time. And those are the things that I've, uh, I've enjoyed learning about. There's a few things we've implemented, but we have a long way to go with, into that. But my commitment will always be to, uh, and my advice to anyone who either has, whether it's one club or multiple clubs or multiple markets, is get inside of your clubs. Get in front of your people. It doesn't have to be every day all, all the time, but 
have that, that, that hands-on approach to doing trainings, to growing and developing your people. And the only way to do that, Rachel, is if you are constantly learning and challenging yourself, or in my case, have other people <laughs> constantly challenging you to learn more. Because uh, my favorite thing to do is to learn something so I can go teach it and you know, make it part of our organization. And so if, if, if a leader of an organization is not constantly learning, uh, learning to have the ability to teach, then there is no culture of learning and, and growing and developing people. Investing in people is not about money. You need to invest money, there's no doubt. But the culture that I've always wanted to, to have and what we're creating at Fuel Fitness is every leader in the organization is responsible for growing future leaders. And if every leader can grow and develop future leaders, then you have this constant culture of learning and, and challenging. And uh, it's got to be done in a fun environment. And Rachel, that wasn't, that's something that I haven't always done over the years is remember to keep the fun in it. But that's certainly with, with fuel fitness uh, at the top of the list is you, you got to have fun as a, as a team to be able to do that. Yeah. Uh, and, and lastly, I'll share a quick story that happened not too long ago uh, with, with, with someone who I worked with in, in Gainesville 25 years ago, who went on to be able to, uh, he was an, an executive, he oversaw multiple uh, studios, multiple clubs. And we were talking about our journey, about how we did everything, you know, from you know, personal trainer to instructor to work in the kids club, the desk to make smoothies, teach group acts, you name it, sales. And he said what he enjoyed the most about that experience was he never had to worry about uh, keeping someone on the team that wasn't at the level that, that they expected because they could all, he could always just step in and do the position himself. There was no position that he was going to be dependent on anyone to be able to accept anything less than 100%. And I said, you know, I, I couldn't agree more as far as that being important, but it wasn't what was most important to me in having that experience. What was most important to me is that I could, is that I always had the ability when I walked into a health club to be able to relate to any person in that building, to be able to coach, to teach, to pull someone inside and say, let's get, let's learn something together. Let's clean this treadmill together. Hey, can I, can I show you one thing? And you, you give me your ideas and, and we'll figure out how to clean better together. Uh, that's what was always most important to me is that there, there wasn't a person in our organization, either in Gainesville at O2 and now fuel that I haven't done the job myself that they're doing. And I think that becoming more and more rare in the health and fitness industry, but I think uh, means a lot to people that you can uh, directly coach at that level. Yeah, for sure. I don't think as a leader, you should um, have the philosophy that any job it, you're above it, no matter what it is. No, it's just the opposite. You know, it's uh, for, for 27 years, the only people I've ever hired are cleaners. And then I hope they also can be a GM and <laughs> sell and everything else. But, you know, first and foremost, everyone's got to be clean. Everyone's got to be cleaners. Everyone's got to, to be able to grab any tool in the arsenal to keep the place cleaner. And, and jokingly, I've, I've said quite a few times when it comes to the, um, the COVID cleaning protocols, 
and people say, what are you going to do different? I say nothing, <laughs> <laughs> you know, cause it's, it's hopefully I've always been that level of clean. Obviously there's some systematic things that you have to do, uh, but as far as being clean, no, if, if, if we're cleaner the day after COVID came than we were the day before COVID, then we weren't clean before. Yeah. And so I think that's got to be the philosophy that everyone takes. Yeah. Well, is there anything else that you've learned over your journey in the fitness industry that might be helpful for other gym operators or maybe even someone thinking about starting their own business? Well, it, part of it goes back to what I mentioned uh, at the beginning, where if you have the opportunity to really connect and pick the brain of smart people, successful people, uh, you know, another quote Joe used to say is, uh, smart people learn from their mistakes, successful people learn from others' mistakes and don't make them themselves. The, the more you can surround yourselves with, with, with smart people, successful people, and do everything you can to pick their brains, emulate them, uh, whether that is in person, people in the industry, or even reading biographies of, uh, of successful people, most of them do one thing. They don't do a, a hundred things well. They do one thing better than most people. And that's where I always try to say, okay, how can I do that a little bit better? How can I make better decisions when it comes to, to those things? And so for me, it started with where was I going to be 100% discipline in each aspect of what I look for from the foundation, the systems, to the people, but also the, the, the business side of things. Uh, you know, I, I, I feel like I'm a industry veteran when it comes to operations, but I'm an infant when it comes to an owner. And so that's a completely different set of lists that I'm now creating to say, here are the things that I'm going to be good at. Here are the things I know I'm not good at. And so I'm either going to surround myself with those people or figure out a way to do it using technology and so forth. Uh, but for instance, when I first started to look at acquiring clubs, uh, I put together a nine point list, checklist of things that said it has to meet this criteria. If it checks eight of the nine boxes, you don't do it. And right away that started to be like, okay, man, I really want that club, <laughs> but it didn't check all the boxes. And instead of just jumping right into it, it's like, no, we're going to say no. And we're going to move on to the next one and the next one and the next one. And finally, the right one came about that checked all nine boxes. And staying disciplined to those types of things, I think, is one of the biggest challenges because it's so easy to get caught up in wanting to do a bunch of things. And, you know, that's just one example of looking at the acquisition playbook. But there's a million different playbooks that as owners and operators that we look at do you have that same set of criteria for each one that you can say, if it's not a hundred percent, say no, it's okay to, to say no to something that only checks 99% of the boxes because that one will be what destroys you. It'll yeah. be what kills you down the road. And so that's probably uh, my, my biggest advice right now. Uh, and, and then I, I also mentioned, don't forget to have fun. You know, don't, don't forget to enjoy the journey because if you're not the people that look up to you and the people that you depend on to run your business, if, if, if you're not having fun, they're not going to have fun. 
And when you can get a team of people that believe in the vision, believe in the mission, that enjoy what they do, man, I, we can do anything. Yeah. I just that, 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 that takes care of anything else. And where you see that come into play, Rachel, is during crisis. Anyone can have fun and, and, and you know, when, when things are going well, but during crisis, and I think you saw a lot of that. You saw a lot of that in our industry where people may be complaining that, uh, you know, their team bolted and, 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 and you know, they, they uh, had complainers and all this. And I said the same thing. I don't know the insides of your organization, but don't first point the finger at them. First, say to yourself, is there anything I could have done to provide a better foundation, a better, uh, better culture so that when these things come, you got people knocking down your door saying, hey, I'll come work for free if I have to, or I'll do this and I'll do that. And, and you see a lot of those out there, too. And, and hopefully those stories are being shared more and more because I think it's important for people to see that we've got a great industry. We still do. Uh, we've got a growing industry. Uh, I, I feel so bad for a lot of great people that are going through what they're going to, but, and this isn't something I necessarily should say publicly. But there's also some people that needed to be weeded out. There's some people that got involved in our industry that, again, I'm very passionate about, and they got into it for different reasons than we do. And they're doing it for different reasons than what you're in it for, Rachel, and, and what many others. And uh, hopefully we can kind of hit the reset button and get owners and operators in back in our industry that are passionate about other people that are passionate yeah. about fitness and wellness. And, and, and we're seeing that. I mean, I, I couldn't feel better about the state of our industry moving forward. Yeah. We've got a really solid foundation to grow on for sure. Yeah. Well, you brought up fun, which leads me into my uh, next question, which is what's a fun fact about yourself that others in the industry might not know. A fun fact. Uh, well, I, um, I used to work for Disney when I was in high school. Okay. I did uh, not know that. So one of the things that I always like to uh, uh, ask people and make, you know, kind of a little game that we always do is guess the Disney character that I once was at Disney. Okay. And I never tell people the answer. I just always like to, so I'm going to ask you that, Rachel. What, what Disney character do you think I was? Oh, gosh. Now, remember, this was in high school, so this was in the uh, early to mid-90s. Aladdin? Aladdin wasn't out then. Oh, darn. Okay. <laughs> oh, gosh. I should know this because I, I was a little kid when <laughs> this was out. Um, oh, my gosh. I don't know. And it's, 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 it's one, it's, it's kind of unfair because it's an obscure one, and... Uh, no one in 27 years has ever guessed. It, so okay. <laughs> uh, when I see you in a few months, I'll, uh, I'll whisper it to you. <laughs> well, now we're going to leave the audience hanging. Good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Perfect. Well, I will uh, get that information from you as soon as we see <laughs> each other. And uh, yeah, right. that's great. Well, I love that. Um, well, anything else that you want to share before we close? You know, there's there's so many uh, anecdotes that I could share and, and, and have shared. Uh, I, I think things like this, things like the, um, you know, URSA and the Club Solutions events and the things that we missed out on over the last 18 months, 
just getting back to that, I think is going to uh, open the doors for so many people to kind of get back into uh, the things that I mentioned, really focusing on the business, in the business, having fun, uh, thinking, doing, uh, becoming better. But I, I think it all boils down to you're only going to be as, as, as good as the people that you have on your team. And if you're not taking care of them and, and, and growing and investing and uh, you know, creating a culture of, of challenging them, I think we're scared to challenge people these days. And if you're doing it in the right way where you're growing and developing them to become better, uh, you know, one of the things I always cringe on when I hear people talk about, and, and, you know, air quote, uh, millennials or Gen Xers and the negative things that, that, that people talk about, it's like, again, are you looking at yourselves first and, and, and understanding that, yeah, people change and, and cultures change and environments change. Are you doing the same? Yeah. And, you know, one of my favorite things to, to look at is, you know, people who are just hungry and, and passionate and they want to grow and develop. And there's, there's, and I'm one of them. I'm someone who in the wrong culture coming out of high school could have gone in a completely different direction than being fortunate to be in a great culture and going in a completely different direction. Having people that as soon as I straight out of line said, no, if you want to be part of this organization, this is the way we do things around here. Yeah. You know, culture is the fever that people catch when they join your organization. And if, again, to, to, to use the, the cliche term millennials or Gen Xers join your organization and they have the ability to, to do some of the things they get uh, negatively um, you know, associated with, then that's a culture issue. That's not yeah. a, them, a them issue. And so there's so many things that we can do to overcome that, but it takes effort. It takes the ability to change. It takes the ability to learn about other people, empathic listening skills, and understanding that we may have to, to tweak some of these things because there's a lot of great, hungry, uh, energetic people who just, they want to grow and develop and given in the, the, the right opportunity will flourish. But too often they get shunned away because of you know, negative perceptions. And again, that's not their fault. Uh, it's, it's always going to be my fault if that happens in, in my organization. So, yeah, I think that's, that's something that a lot of people can learn from is it, we, we spend so much time and energy talking about how do you hire yeah. great people? How do you train great people? How do you onboard all that? I would be willing to bet Rachel that every health club, every owner and operator has had superstars in front of them that they either did not hire or uh, were even working for them, but because they weren't the ones who were willing to invest and grow and develop people, those people went elsewhere and became superstars. You, you know, you're never going to hire the perfect person. You have to develop them, hire great people. And, and, and when I say great people, that doesn't necessarily mean uh, any one thing. You know, you, you have, most people are great. You know, most people are great. And so it's about creating all the other things to make sure they're in an environment to grow and to flourish and to become the best person possible. 
uh, through thick and thin. So yeah. that's, that's probably the number one thing that without that, I know I wouldn't want to uh, own or operate a business if I didn't have that as the baseline. Yeah, that's great advice. Great. Awesome. All right. Well, this has been really great, Sean. So appreciate your time. Always great catching up with you. And uh, yeah, thank you again for joining me. You too, Rachel. It was my pleasure. And that wraps up this episode of the Club Solutions Magazine podcast. Thank you for listening. And if there are future topics you'd like me to cover in upcoming episodes, please let me know at rachel at clubsolutionsmagazine.com. 